Good evening to you, and welcome to our Wednesday night Bible study. I'm so glad to see each and every one of you that came out tonight. Uh, good to be back in the house of the Lord. I'm also thankful for those who couldn't be here uh, for whatever reason that you've tuned in to our broadcast through Facebook Live. And uh, thank you for making the study of the Word of God a priority in your life. And uh, tonight, I just cannot wait to share with you what the Lord has shared with me uh, concerning Romans chapter number 8. So I just want to dive right into that. But before I do, um, I just want to pray for us and ask God to bless this service, to have His way and to have His will and to do what only He can do in our lives. So let's bow our heads and, and ask the Lord uh, to bless us in this time that we'll meet together. Father God, we love You. Thank You, Lord, for loving us, how good You are to us. Lord, we praise You for doing what only You are capable of. Uh, of Lord for changing hearts and changing lives. Thank you for saving my soul. Thank you, Lord, for giving me a uh, a purpose, and Father, for uh, doing for me what I couldn't do for myself. Lord, I'm asking tonight that you would have your way and your will in these services. Lord, we real understand and realize that if anything's going to get done effectively, you're going to be the one that does it. If the work's going to get done, Lord, you've got to do the work. I can preach truth, but only you can impart truth to the hearers. And Lord, we're just asking tonight that you do exactly that. You make your truth real to each and every one of us. And do what is necessary in each and every life so that we might be pleasing in your sight. Lord, we're asking tonight that you move me out of the way and you use me for your honor and for your glory. If there be anything that would hinder this service, Lord, I pray that you remove it. And I'm asking, Holy Spirit, that you would fill me up, use me, pour me out into the lives of these people that are here and the lives of the people that are watching. Uh, tonight, Lord, I'm just asking in Jesus' name uh, that, again, you be glorified in absolutely everything that goes on here this evening. In Jesus' mighty name we do pray. Amen. We found out uh, thus far in Romans chapter number 8 that there's a whole lot of benefits and blessings that come to those who are in Christ. And right here in the 8th chapter of Romans, Paul lists many of them. Maybe not all of them, but he certainly lists a whole lot of them, uh, the benefits and blessings that come to uh, the believer. Now when I'm talking about those who are in Christ what are we talking about there? I want to make sure that we're all on the same page. I'm talking about those who have by faith, uh, by grace through faith, trusted in Jesus for the forgiveness of sin. I'm talking about those who have been blood-bought and born again into the family of God. I'm talking about those who have been saved by grace through faith. And if you know tonight that God the Holy Spirit has done a work on the inside that's making a difference on the outside, you know that you've been born again you know that you've been saved. The Bible says that you are in Christ. Now what does that mean to be in Christ? We've talked a whole lot about that in the last two or three weeks. And we said to be in Christ means that we are made partakers of all Christ is, all Christ has, and all Christ does. Now don't just let that go in one ear and out the other. Let it roll around up there for just a minute. Think about what is actually being said in that. How many of you understand and know that Jesus is God? He's, he didn't just become God when he was born in a manger in Bethlehem. He's always been God uh, since before the beginning. The Bible says in John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, that uh, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And we know John is using the Word to describe the Lord Jesus Christ. So John is telling us Jesus has always been the Son of God and God the Son. So if the Bible tells us we are in Him, and to be in Him means 
that we are made partakers of all he does, all he has, um, and, and, and all he is. That means we are made partakers of all God is, all God has. And all God does. Think about that just a minute. That, that blesses my soul, man, every time I think about who we are in Jesus. I am nothing without Jesus. And let me tell you something. You are nothing without Jesus. But in Christ, we went from being a pauper to being a prince. Listen, we went from having nothing to having it all because of who he is. Uh, tonight, we're going to see that right here in the rest of Romans chapter number 8. Now, first of all, we saw that uh, Paul outlines for us four separate freedoms right here that we have um, as, uh, to, for those who are in Christ. We saw in Romans 8, 1 through 4 that we have freedom from judgment. Now, why are we free from judgment? Because our sins have been forgiven. For those who have placed their faith in Jesus and, and, and trusted in Him for the forgiveness of sin, the Bible says there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ. Romans 8 and verse number 1. Now when God sees you, He no longer sees you as being in your sin, but for those who've trusted in Jesus, He sees you as the righteousness of His Son, the righteousness of Christ has been put on your account, imputed to you by faith in Jesus. What a blessing that truly is. So now, uh, we are no longer uh, under the, uh, the uh, weight of sin. We are no longer under the curse of sin. Uh, because we've been forgiven uh, of our sins, uh, through faith in Christ, there's no condemnation to us. We are free of judgment and therefore there's no condemnation. But we found out last week that we're also, we also have freedom from defeat because there's no obligation. There, we are no longer obligated to the flesh. Look in Romans chapter 8 verse number 12. The Bible says it very plainly. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh. The flesh, we said last week, is not the bone and the marrow and the sinew and the skin and the blood that makes up our physical bodies. The flesh he's speaking of here is the sinful nature that all of us were born with. Everybody who's been born of the seed of man was born with the nature of Adam, that sin nature. And the Bible says those who are in Christ, those who are, have been born again in God's family, we are no longer debtors to the flesh. We no, we no longer have any obligation to live after the flesh. We're no longer motivated by the flesh. We are no longer controlled by the flesh. Why? Because when we got saved, we got the Spirit. When we got saved, the Bible says that God indwelled us with the precious Holy Spirit. We are no longer after the flesh, according to Romans chapter 8, verses 5 and 6. But now we do mind the things of the Spirit. Christ lives in the believer in the person of the Holy Spirit. You need to understand, yes, we are in Christ. If you believe it, say amen. And the Bible teaches that. But you also need to see that Christ is in us. He lives in the believer in the person of God the Holy Spirit. And it's through the person, the power, and the presence of God the Holy Spirit that we are empowered to live our lives. We'll see that in just a moment. We just sang about it a minute ago um, that the, 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 the resurrected king is 
resurrecting me. How is he resurrecting me? He's resurrecting me by his spirit. Look in Romans chapter 8, verse number 11. I think we got down to verse number 13 last week. We're going to back up to verse number 11 and try to make it through 17. Listen what 11 says. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you. You need to understand the same spirit that raised up Jesus on that first Easter morning to cause him to walk in the newness of life is the same spirit that now dwells in the believer who's placed their trust in Jesus. I love this. And what does that spirit do? It does the same thing for us that it did for Christ. It caused him to walk in the newness of life and it causes us to walk. In the newness of life. We're no longer uh, supposed to be motivated or to live in the deadness of the sinful nature. But now, because of the spirit of life, we can be pleasing unto the Lord. We can be what God wants us to be. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwells in you. Christ lives in us in the person of God the Holy Spirit. And it's by that spirit nature that now we can be pleasing unto the Lord. Now we can be what God wants us to be. Keep your place there in Romans chapter 8. And let me give you some really good commentary on the 8th chapter of Romans. It comes from John 17. Everybody flip back to John 17. And I want you to see the high priestly prayer of the Lord Jesus right before he goes to the cross. He prays here for the church. Do you understand before Jesus went to the cross, he prayed for you and he prayed for me? I don't know about you, but that excites me, man. That cranks my tractor. Listen to what it says. John chapter 17, verse number 20. Jesus said, neither I pray for these alone, meaning his disciples that were present with him then, but for them also which believe on me through their word. How many know that's us? That's me and that's you. We've believed on Jesus but because of the testimony of the apostles, those original disciples. So Jesus here is praying for you and I who have believed on Christ. Verse 21 says that they all may be one. As thou, Father, art in me and I in thee. So what's Jesus saying? He and the Father are one. Christ is in the Father. The Father is in Christ. They are inseparable. They are one. Now listen what else he says here, though. He says then that they also may be one in us. So Jesus himself said in John 17, 21, that we are in him. If we are in him, we are in the Father. Why? Because he and the Father are one. Amen? Now, let's go on. Let's read on down. Look at verse 22. And the glory which thou gavest me, I have given them, that they may be one even as we are one. Verse 23, I in them. So we see we are in Christ in verse number 21. And then we see in verse 23, Christ is in us, I in them, and thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one, that the world may know that thou hast sent me, that thou hast loved them, even as thou hast loved me. So by the testimony of the Lord Jesus himself, we are in Christ Christ is in us, and because Christ is in us, we can be what God has saved us to be. We are free from defeat. How many of you know, you don't have to live defeated Christian lives. Some of us, most of us, let me just go ahead and say it, all of us struggle 
with this so sinful nature, don't we? A lot of people believe that once they get saved, they have no more problem with sin. You ever been around someone like that? I have. They'll bless your heart, I'm telling you that. It kind of makes my eye twitch a little bit, being around people that think they're perfect and they don't have problems like everybody else does. The truth is, we all got problems. We're all still trying to die to this flesh, that old sinful nature, so that we might walk in the Spirit. None of us have arrived. As long as we've still got breath in our lungs, God is still working on you and I. Now that don't give us a crutch to sin, but that ought a lot of fire in us to be what God wants us to be. Not to cheapen grace, but because we have experienced grace, I want to be what God wants me to be. I want to be what God has saved me to be. The truth is, we're all still growing. We're all still trying to find the place that God is pleased with us growing from glory to glory. And we do that by the power of the Spirit that dwells in us. Romans chapter 8 talks a whole lot about the Spirit. First of all, Romans 8, 2, he calls the Holy Spirit the Spirit of life. What does this mean? Let's go back and read it together. Romans 8, 2. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit is the spirit of life. It's the spirit that, first of all, empowers us to obey Christ. There's three things uh, that I want you to see tonight about the spirit of life that's mentioned here in Romans chapter 8. That same spirit that raised up Jesus which also dwells in us. Listen, it empowers us to obey Christ throughout our life, whatever we're doing, wherever we are. It's by the power of the spirit that I'm going to be pleasing unto Jesus at my home, at my workplace, at my church, wherever I am as I walk through this life. He empowers me to obey Christ day by day. Let me tell you what I believe. I believe for far too long we've gotten used to doing church without the power of the Holy Spirit. I think it's real easy sometimes for us to um, come to services and go through the motions and pray the prayer and even preach the sermon and go through those motions in our ability instead of by the empowering of the Holy Spirit. Instead of relinquishing our will to God's will, we want to do God's work in our ability. And when we try to do God's work in our ability, there's going to be no fruit in that. There's going to be no life in that. But I fear that's what's happened in the church for far too long. Let me read to you some statistics that was, um, it was actually a, a survey that was done in 2005 through the, by the Baptist press uh, on Southern Baptist churches over the United States of America. Let me give you this. It, it blew me away when I read this years ago. And, and I want to tell you, the numbers that I'm about to give you, it don't get, this hadn't gotten better. It's actually gotten worse since 2005. I don't have the, any new surveys, but I, I know that to be true by what I, I've seen through the Southern Baptist Convention. Listen to what it says. In 2005, the Baptist Press did a survey of 42,000 Southern Baptist churches in our nation on whether or not Southern Baptist churches were still growing. 
And they found out that 29,000 of the 42,000 Southern Baptist churches over the United States of America, or 70% of them, had actually plateaued or declined and were not growing. So 70% of Southern Baptist churches in 2005 were not growing or were declining. Now, the criteria used for whether or not the church was growing or declining was whether or not they had baptized one new believer in the previous three church years. Think about that just a moment. Folks, if we're not baptizing believers... And that's what we do around here, can you say amen? We don't baptize this, anybody won't get baptized. We baptize those who have trusted in Jesus. See, if we're not baptizing believers, that means nobody's getting saved. Well, if nobody's getting saved, that means the world's not being changed. And there's no, I, I don't think, I think it's a no-brainer then while we see what's going on in our world. There's enough power in the church to change the world. But what we must do as the church is relinquish our will to God's will and allow God the Holy Spirit to work on us, work in us, and work through us to do the work that only He can do. We can't keep just going through the motions and, uh, and, and, and um, expecting God to move and God to bless and lives to be changed. We must be desperate for and desire the Holy Spirit to empower us to do the work that God has saved us to do. Because that's what the Holy Spirit does. He empowers Believers, He is the spirit of life. Let me give you a scripture, Acts chapter number 1. Go over there and read it with me. Acts 1, verse number 8. Many of you know this. I love this verse. It says, but ye shall receive power. Jesus speaking here to his disciples right before his ascension. He says to them, you're going to receive power after that the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit is come upon you. And you're going to be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and in the uttermost part of the earth. So according to Jesus himself, right before he went back to the Father, he said, when the Holy Spirit comes, he's going to empower you so that you might go out and be witnesses unto the saving grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? So we see the spirit of life empowers believers to obey the Lord Jesus. Let me tell you what else he does. He enables believers to be like Christ in their day-to-day -day lives. You've probably heard of the fruit of the Spirit. When we're talking about the fruit of the Spirit, what are we talking about? Um, Brother Vance Pittman one of my absolute favorite preachers. He's a pastor of Hope Baptist Church in Las Vegas, Nevada, one of the fastest growing churches in the world right now. The Lord is using that brother in a fantastic way. He, he gives my favorite definition of the fruit of the Spirit. He says, the fruit of the Spirit is the life of the vine being pressed out through the branch. That's good stuff. We know according to John chapter number 15 that Jesus is the vine and we as believers are the branches <laughs> for fruit to be evident in our life the life of Christ must be pressed out through us now what does that look like well I'm glad you asked Look in Galatians chapter 5 with me for just a moment because there he gives us, the Apostle Paul, again, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he gives us a list of the fruit of the Spirit 
that should be evident in the life of a believer who is being enabled by the Holy Spirit um, to be like Jesus. Look what it says, Galatians 5.22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. So what's Paul saying? These fruit of the Spirit that he mentions here. Is this the life of Christ evident in us as God the Holy Spirit enables us to be like Jesus? So this spirit of life that's mentioned in Romans 8 2, first of all, empowers us to obey Christ, to go out and be the witnesses that He wants us to be in our day-to-day living. But then it enables us to be like Christ as the life of the vine is being pressed out through the branch. Let me give you another one. The Holy Spirit also encourages us to keep on keeping on for Jesus. This is a very important verse. Go to John chapter number 14. You can turn there if you choose. If not, just write it down. You can go back and look at this later. John 14 would be a fantastic chapter for you to study this week in your quiet time. I'm telling you. Powerful, powerful verse of Scripture. John 14, 15. Jesus said, if you love me, Keep my commandments. Let me ask you something. How do we know whether or not we love Jesus? If we do what he tells us to do. See, really what Jesus said, it's not as much what you say. It's good to say the right things. I'm going to tell you something, folks. I'd rather preach than eat when I was hungry. I love to stand up here and say what we need to do. But the real test is not me standing up here and saying what I need to do. The real test is me going out there and doing what I need to do. What God's told me to do. Living out my faith. Not just here, but everywhere else I go. Whether it be here, or at home, or at work, or at the grocery store, at the ball game. Jesus said, if you really love me, you're going to keep my commandments. You're going to do what I tell you to do. Now, how are we going to do that? Well, verse 16 says, I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter. The word comforter there means para, is parakletos in the Greek. It means one who comes alongside to help. The word another in the Greek is one like unto Jesus or one like unto, uh, unto the one speaking. So what he's saying is one like unto myself is going to come alongside and help you in the person of the Holy Spirit. He's going to be your comforter. He's going to be your encourager. He's going to keep you, help you to keep on keeping on for the cause of Christ. That's exactly what he does. He gives you peace that passeth all understanding. He gives you joy unspeakable and full of glory. He helps you to love people that seem to be unlovable from time to time. He helps you to be patient with those who try your patience. He's your comforter, your helper your encourager to help you keep on keeping on in your work for the Lord. So this spirit of life that's mentioned in John chapter number 8, the Holy Spirit, that same spirit that raised up Jesus and caused him to walk in the newness of life causes us to walk in the newness of life. Not only is he called the spirit of life here in Romans chapter 8, But the Holy Spirit also helps us to die to the flesh. 
Look what it says there in Romans 8.13. For if you live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit, if ye through the Spirit, and if you notice there, the word Spirit is capitalized, meaning he's speaking of God, the Holy Spirit. He says, for if you live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify or kill the deeds of the body, ye shall live. So the Holy Spirit helps us to kill the deeds of the flesh or that sinful nature. Isn't that good? He helps us to die to the flesh so that we might be pleasing unto the Lord. Now let me ask you something. How is that made real to you? And how is that made real to me as a believer? Well, I'll tell you what we got to do. Listen, we have got to relinquish our will to God's will. And I believe this is a conscious decision that we make day by day. We, we got to continuously seek the Lord... And remember, it's not about what we want, but what He wants. We've got to continually submit ourselves to Him and ask that God have His way and His will in our life. The Spirit will help us to die to the flesh, but we've got to want to die to the flesh. James speaks of this. In James chapter 4. You've heard me quote many times James chapter 4 and verse number 8. I love this verse, man, what a promise it is. It says that if we choose to draw nigh to God, He will certainly choose to draw nigh to us. So the God of heaven is just saying, you move first. If you want to get close to me, I want to get close to you. I love this. But to really get a hold of what is being said and keep it in context in James 4 and 8, we really need to look back at James 4 and 6. Watch what James says. But he gives more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but gives grace unto the humble. He says in verse 7, Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Before we can draw nigh to God, we've got to resist the devil. Look what else. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts. You double-minded. We've got to resist the devil and cleanse our hands. He's what he says. We've got to get cleaned up. We've got to get the unconfessed sin out of our lives. If we're really going to be close to God like we want to be close to God, if we're really going to be led by the Spirit daily, relinquishing our will to His will, we've got to resist the devil and get unconfessed sin cleaned up, sanctified, from our own lives as believers. The problem is many times we don't resist the devil. Because the devil tempts that sinful nature with what the sinful nature likes. And if we are living after that sinful nature, like we talked about last week, like Paul talks about in Romans chapter 8, we're never going to be pleasing unto the Lord. We've got to relinquish our will to God's will. Resist the devil. Draw nigh to God. 
and allow God the Holy Spirit to help us die to that sinful nature that we all still have. So he, we see that he is the spirit of life. We also see that this spirit mentioned helps us to die to the flesh. But let me say something else. Man, I love this part. He's also the spirit of adoption. Look how he puts this. Romans chapter 8, uh, verse number 14. He says, for as many as are led by the spirit. Everybody say led by the spirit. How do you understand that Jesus never drives his sheep? As the good shepherd, the Bible says he leads his sheep. And as he leads, his sheep follow him. According to John chapter 10, they follow him because they know his voice. He's not forcing them. He's not driving them to go somewhere. He's leading them and they're following him willingly, knowing him to be the good shepherd. The true children of God are led by the Spirit of God following the good shepherd. Verse 15. For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. For the Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, join heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with Him, that we also may be glorified together. So the Bible says here, we have the spirit of adoption. What does it mean that we are the adopted sons and daughters of Almighty God? Well, just like I said a moment ago, I kind of got ahead of myself. We went from being paupers to being princes and princesses. We went from having nothing, dead in trespasses and sins, to having it all, being heirs to God Himself and joint heirs with Christ, all because we were adopted into the family of God. Now to see how powerful this, to see how good this is, there's three things I want to mention to you tonight about the spirit of adoption. We need to understand God's person, first of all. To really see how good it is to be an adopted son and daughter of God. What do I mean by God's person? Who He is. Who He is. Do you know the Bible tells us who God is from Genesis to Revelation? The Bible tells us who God is. The Bible tells us who we are. The Bible tells us who we can be in Christ. But, but mainly, God, it tells us who God is. That's the important thing. See, the, the, uh, what we need to focus on in, in, in Romans 8.15 is not near as much on those who are being adopted, but the one who is doing the adopting. We need to focus on the person of God the Father because when we get a hold of that, it makes all the difference in our life. Now, all throughout the Old Testament, God give, uh, gives us His names. And He gives us about 21 different names. At least 21 different names that I've counted. Tonight, I just want to give you a few of them. And it's in these names that we see truly who God the Father is, His person. In the book of uh, Genesis, chapter number 22, you'll find the story of Abraham and Isaac. God told Abraham to take Isaac, his one and only son, up onto the mountain. And he was going to sacrifice, he was supposed to sacrifice Isaac there unto the Lord. And when Abraham gets up on the mountain, the Bible says he starts to raise up the knife and plunge it down 
into Isaac's chest as Isaac was laying there upon the altar. And, and, and the moment he raised his hand, the Bible says the angel of the Lord stopped him. He grabbed Abraham's hand and wouldn't let him stab his son. And, and then Abraham looks over to the side and sees a ram caught in the thicket. And instead of sacrificing the son, Abraham sacrifices the ram. And he builds an altar there in Genesis 22. And you know what he calls that place? Jehovah Jireh. Jehovah Jireh means the Lord who provides. Now, I've heard someone ask me a question once upon a time. They said, when we say Jehovah Jireh, does it mean that God is our spiritual provider or our physical provider? And I just said yes. Both. Absolutely. How has He provided for us spiritually? Well, the Bible says He has provided for us the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. He sent His Son to die for you, to die for me. And the Bible says that Jesus, the Son of God, and God the Son, sent by God the Father, came and tasted death for every man. He paid my sin debt, and He paid your sin debt at the cross. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, For He, meaning God the Father, made Him, meaning God the Son, to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be called the righteousness of God in Him. So yes, God the Father provided for us spiritually the Lamb of God that would take away the sin of the world. And it's through that provision that we have salvation. There is no other name under heaven whereby men might be saved except the name of the Lord Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes unto the Father but by me. So God provided a way for us to get to Him through His Son. He is our spiritual provider. Spiritual provider, absolutely. But you need to know he's also our physical provider. Amen. How many of y'all glad of that? The Bible says that God the Father loves you so much that the hairs upon your head are numbered. Jesus, speaking to his disciples once upon a time, says, is, is, is not, uh, what was it, two, uh, two sparrows sold for a farthing or less than a penny? He said, these two sparrows are sold for less than a penny, but God knows every sparrow that falls out of the air to the earth. And then he tells his disciples, you are much more important than those two birds. Matthew chapter 6, the disciples come to Jesus. And they're worried about what they're going to eat and what kind of clothes they're going to have and what kind of place they're going to live in. You know what Jesus said? You're worried about all the wrong things because if God can provide uh, raiment for the lilies of the field, He'll provide for you. If God can, will provide for the birds of the air, their food, and they, they toil not, but He says, if, if God will provide for them, He'll provide for you. Why? Because God loves you. He is your provider. Write this scripture down. James 1.13. Excuse me, James 1.17. James 1.17, go back and read that this week. The Bible says there that God the Father has blessed us with all spiritual blessings, that He's done for us what we couldn't do. The Bible tells us that every good gift and every perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. So what's He saying? Every good thing you've got come to you because God provided that for you. 
I'm talking about the house you live in, the job you work at, the car you ride in, the shoes you got on your feet, the clothes you got on your back, the, the food in your refrigerator. I'm talking about the every good thing you've got came from God, your heavenly Father, your provider. Every good gift. But then he goes a step further and says every perfect gift. The only perfect gift that I have is my relationship with Jesus. The Bible says that we are made perfect through his suffering. The righteousness of Christ is applied to us, imputed unto us by faith. Every good gift and every perfect gift comes from God the Father who provides our Jehovah Jireh. You need to know that God the Father, He's also named Jehovah Shalom, the Lord our peace. This comes from a story in Judges chapter 6, verses 22 through 24. You'll find it there where Gideon and his small army had just defeated a much larger army and saved the uh, people of Israel from, from, being, from being killed. And the Bible says that Gideon built an altar there, and he called that place uh, Jehovah Shalom, which means the Lord is our peace. How are you glad tonight that you know the peace of God? We live in a world that is crippled by fear. I'm thankful God's given me his peace. Peace for living. Peace for dying. I've told you before, I'm going to tell you again. Folks, I don't know what tomorrow holds. I don't know what's going to happen next week, next month, next year. I don't. Nobody does. But I do know this. My God holds tomorrow. My Heavenly Father holds tomorrow. I rest in Him. I rely upon Him. I trust in Him. He is my Jehovah Shalom. He is my peace. We need to see he's also Jehovah Nisi. This comes from Exodus 17. You'll find in Exodus chapter number 17 one of my favorite stories in all the word of God. Moses and the, and the children of Israel are going through the wilderness on their way to the promised land. And the Bible says the Amalekites come out and make war with the children of Israel. And they begin to fight down in a valley. And Moses himself goes up onto the mountain. And Moses raises up his hands. And as long as he's got his hands raised up, he looks down into the valley and he sees that the children of Israel is winning the battle as long as his hands are raised. But when his hands get tired and it starts to fall down, they begin to lose. And so what happened was Aaron and Hur, these two brothers who went up with Moses, got up there and held his hands up. Amen. They propped his hands up so that he could keep his hands up in praise to the Lord, in submission to the Lord. And, and as he kept his hands up, the children of Israel, of Israel in the valley gained the victory. And they built an altar there. And they called it Jehovah Nisi. The, that means the Lord who is my banner. It means that God goes before us into battle. Some of you tonight are facing battles that nobody else knows anything about. Some of us have battles over the horizon that we know nothing about. I'll just go ahead and say all of us have battles that we know nothing about coming our way in the very near future or maybe years on down the road. I don't know. I just know we're going to go through some stuff. Everybody does. We live in a fallen creation. But I'm thankful I know that my God is Jehovah Nisi. He goes before me into whatever battle I face. You need to understand, He's Jehovah Rapha. 
You find that in Exodus 15, verses 25 through 27. The nation of Israel was coming from Egypt to the promised land in the middle of the wilderness. And the Bible says that they came to a place where they had no water to drink. The water was bitter. God made the water sweet. God gave them water to drink there in the middle of the desert in that dry place. And they built an altar and called it Jehovah Rapha, which means the Lord who heals. Some of us have saw God do what only He can do and heal sickness that only He can heal. Let me tell you something. Nobody, nobody can tell me that God is out of the healing business. God can still do what He's always done. He is Jehovah Rapha. He heals physically. He heals spiritually. He heals emotionally. He can heal relationships. He is Jehovah Rapha. The Bible says in Genesis 1, 1 through 3, He's Elohim. The all-powerful Creator. Now think about that. We are the adopted sons and daughters of the Creator of the universe. Do you realize that there are billions upon billions with a B stars in the Milky Way galaxy alone? And scientists tell us that they believe there are billions upon billions of galaxies just like the Milky Way that we live in and bigger than the Milky Way galaxy that we live in. Do you realize that Psalms 147 verses 1 through 4 says that God knows all of them stars and calls them by their name? God not only spoke that into existence. He has all powerful power, but He also has all knowledge. And when we don't even know how many stars there is, God's already named them all. He's Elohim. He's the omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient God of the universe. He's my Father. And if you're a child of God, if you place your trust in Jesus, if you're in Christ, He's your Father. Now, I was preaching a revival service years ago, and I was talking about the fatherhood of God. And um, a young lady came up to me after the service, and she said, Pastor, I believe what you said, that those who place their trust in Jesus become the children of God. He said, but she said, I, I'm just not sure how comfortable I am with that. And she began telling me about her relationship with her earthly father. And it was less than perfect, I'll just say that. She'd been hurt greatly by her earthly father. And all she knew of fatherhood is what she had seen in her earthly father. And she said, I don't know how good it is that God is my father. Listen, folks. There is no comparison to the God in heaven whom we call father. He is great. He is Elohim. But you know what else? He's good. He is love.
He is just. He is holy. He is Abba, Father. Daddy, God. Your earthly father may have failed you. Your heavenly father never will. Your earthly father, listen, they may leave you when times get bad. Your heavenly father never leaves you nor forsakes you. The Bible actually says in the book of Psalms that he is a father to the fatherless. He loves you with an unconditional, everlasting love. He's proven that because of sending his son. You need to see God's person. You also need to see God's power. Like I said, he is Elohim. Then lastly, you need to see God's purpose. What is his purpose? His purpose, his purpose in sending his son Jesus was to save a lost and dying world. Do you realize we get to be a part of that with him? Do you realize as I serve the Lord, I get to be a part of changing people's eternity? Now I know God does the saving. We all know that. God's never called me, nor has he called you to save anybody. But he has called us to sow the seed. He has called us to preach the message of salvation, to share the gospel with a lost and dying world. We get to be a part of fulfilling God's purpose <coughs> as his children. I've told you this story before, but I just want to tell it to you real quickly. Years ago, I had bought a Mustang, and that was my, still is, my favorite car. I love to work on old cars. Brought that thing to the house, started working on it, fixing it up, and I was putting some fog lights in it one Saturday morning. I'll never forget. And uh, I'm laying out there under that thing, under the front of the car, putting those fog lights in, trying to get them wired up and bolted back into the bumper. Um, Gage at that time was probably three at the most, four years old. He was just walking good, and he come outside and, and crawled up under that car with me. He starts getting all the tools and sockets and wrenches and everything that was laying there in my toolbox out, strolling them all under the car, all around the driveway. And he's taking all those wrenches and trying to take out all the bolts that was under the car. And um, the truth is, I could have probably done the job a whole lot faster and a whole lot better if he wasn't out there under the car with me. But I'll tell you this, there's nobody, nobody, I'd rather have under that car with me than that little man or my two daughters, my children. Why? Because I want them to be a part of what I'm doing, whatever I'm doing. And our daddy God, our Abba Father, allows us to be a part of what he's doing in this world, which is bringing lost men, women, boys, and girls under the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Could he do it better and faster without me? Absolutely. Sometimes I think I just get in the way. I'll just be honest. That's what I keep praying. Lord, don't let me mess up what you're doing. Don't let me get in the way and hinder. Let me be a help because of your power. God could do it better without me. God could do it better without you. But God allows us to be a part 
of fulfilling his purpose. Why? Because he's daddy God. He loves you. He loves you. Then the Bible says that Romans 8, 17, we could spend a whole other service on this, and we may do it. It says that we are joint, we're heirs to God, and joint heirs with Jesus. I remember I went to a men's conference years ago. Johnny Hunt, who was the former president of the Southern Baptist Convention, was preaching. Done a fantastic job. Lord used him in a great way. And he was preaching on Romans 8, 17. He said something I'll never forget. He said, I never knew that I was in the cattle business until I read Romans 8, 17. See, Romans 8, 17 says that we are heirs to God the Father. We are joint heirs with the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Bible says in the book of Psalms that God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Because we are in Christ, because Christ is in us, we are made partakers of all Christ is, all Christ does, and all Christ has. Praise the Lord. We're heirs to God. The Bible says the heavens are his throne and the earth is his footstool, that all the earth belongs to him. I'm an heir to him. And so are you if you're a believer. Any comments or questions before we close?